Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. Uh, Word is, uh, we're at 5-9-2021, uh, and we're continuing where we left off with the thought of the week and prayer. The thought of the week comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Here we find a reference to Christ dying for all. Some would be quick to point out that all does not always mean everyone. I would agree with that statement. The only way we can know what the writer meant is to examine the context. What in the context can help us decide? Christ's death for all is seen as contrasting the last phrase, and therefore all die. So, the all here is defined by the point that all die. Well, did all die? Yes, all born from Adam died, for as in Adam all die. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. Or there is another passage, passage to consider. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, Romans chapter 5, 17. It is true that every person in Adam died just as we discovered as part of the bad news. So since Christ's death is contrasted with this death, which is certainly all-inclusive of every person born in Adam, then the statement that Christ died for all is most assuredly all-inclusive to all mankind born in Adam. Since Christ died for all mankind this is the benefit this is a benefit to all mankind who desperately need this provision for us to minimize this would be to take away from the desire and will of god to save all this is good and pleases god our savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. First Timothy chapter two, verses three and four. While everyone will not be saved in the end, we can unquestionably see the heart of God in making the suitable provision for this to be a reality. Uh, if I may, I'm gonna add a short commentary by simply reading John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. So, I can't. So, and, and shall not perish and have eternal life. And it says, Whosoever believe, who does not believe on the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God that 
in Adam remains on him. At this time, we're going to turn the service over to Bill for prayer. Thank you. Okay, at this time, if there's anyone who wants to uh, announce someone in need of prayer or a special request, then do it. As always, pray for me. Uh, just pray for the Ellis family. That lost, we lost our aunt, Priscilla. So pray for the Ellis family. We can bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you once again, Father, that you have given us the ability to stand before you in prayer. You know, we want to thank you for your son, O oh Lord, for surely you we were all born in Adam, and we are progeny of Adam at birth, O oh Lord. But you have made a way of escape for us through your sacrificial death on the cross of your son. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you've given us a way of escape, not just for us, but for all men. They just look towards the sun and see him as their only way of escape, that they too can have eternal life, oh Father. We pray uh, not just for those of this church, oh Lord, but we pray for the whole nation, oh Father, for surely this nation is in crisis. So we pray that your will be done throughout this nation, not just this nation, but throughout the world, oh Father. We pray for words of truth, oh Lord, we pray for the Ellis family. So many have died in a lot of our families. We look Lord, to you, giving comfort to those families, O oh Lord, and that you bring peace and understanding that you and only you is the way of eternal life, a peace to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord, these are all blessings we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Amen. Fred and, uh, and Bill, for that. We are going to continue where we left off. And um, so we're in John chapter 16. You have notes. We're going to be looking at verse 11. So picking up where we left off in verse 8, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. That's the verse, the last verse we're going to look at, verse 11. In your notes, by looking at the world's attitudes about such important matters as sin, righteousness, and judgment, you could think that they are not concerned at all. On the surface, many go about their daily activities with no care that death can happen at any time. We do not have to be old for death to visit us. In the back of our minds, we know this, but choose not to focus on the reality that death is just as sure as life. Some may sober up to this reality too late. A reckoning is coming, and all the distractions and alternative beliefs will soon be seen for what they are. Many say that about Christianity, but our Lord demonstrated beyond a reasonable doubt that he conquered death and he alone is qualified to speak truthfully about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we got this last phrase, 
an explanation about what does it mean about judgment. So the first part and about judgment in our notes is just going to be what, do, what does the Bible say about judgment? But that last part is important to note because that's the part that the Holy Spirit is emphasizing to the world. Now, we just want to say that, you know, that these categories about sin and righteousness and judgment, he's telling you uh, something very particular that he wants to tell. I'll save that for when we get to the part. But we know that judgment is an important matter. So we're going to talk about this first part because, for some reason, many people sort of ignore these things. They don't want to talk about sin of right and righteousness and judgment. They sort of ignore, act as though these things will never be the focus, but it will. So let's dig in. We got a lot of uh, places here to go, and uh, so we'll, we'll dig in. The first point, end about judgment. Uh, so now we get to the biblical understanding uh, of judgment. That's what we're going to do. We're going to try to understand this from what the Bible says. You know, I, I don't know how, I think what is bubbling up in me is the yearning that everybody needs this information. They need to know what the details of life, death, judgment, sin, righteousness, you know, they need to understand that. But once they understand it from that perspective, they will understand what God is doing in salvation. And, you know, what's interesting here is I don't see anything here about love. Now, of course, I'm not saying love does not enter into the picture when it comes to salvation. Because we got John 3.16, God so loved the world. So love is a motivation. But what did God do as a result of that? Well, he sent, he, you know, he, he sacrificed his own son. And we, just like we read in the other verse, uh, it is God's will that all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Right? So we, we know God's will. His desire, his motivation is for us to be saved. But we need to hear from God on what he thinks is most important for the world to know. So I could come up with my top five things, but God is the one that's most important. We'll, we'll continue. Let's see how this shakes out. Point B, the Spirit will convict the world about this important matter. God has given us clear understanding on the criteria of judgment. And John 3.18 is, is, is really clear. I mean, it's, it's a verse that has a because in it. Right? It says, He that believes on him is not condemned. But he that believes, who believes not, who does not believe, is condemned already. Now, he could just leave it at that, but he says, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. There it is. I love that Bible explaining itself. Uh, that's, that's how it works. Because he has not believed. Well, we got clear understanding, and that's the kind of understanding we need. What if we said why, and there was no answer to the why? Well, people would start making things up. Well, well, well here's why. 
Well, we have the reason why. Because he has not believed. It didn't say because he didn't keep the law. It didn't say because he didn't love. It didn't say because he didn't have um, the right credentials or was born in the wrong race or any of that. It says because he didn't believe. Now, then the whole attention should turn to believing. But then, you know, problem is people still want to twist what that is. Point C, let's keep going. We should know that we will all stand judgment to determine the following. So here, here's some things I came up with. This looks like it's four things that we should be understanding that the Bible teaches concerning judgment. And if you're, you're not familiar with what judgment is, you ought to be. You just ought to be so that you can know what God will do and why he will do it. So you don't walk around thinking that something's going to just drop. You know, God will just do anything. God says, I'm going to do what I said. Here's what I'm, and I'm telling you what I'm going to do for that reason. So here, okay, let's get into it. So point one, no one will be judged for their sins. They were imputed to Christ and judged already. Now we got a couple of scripture, scriptures to show that that is what God said. And that is 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 says, uh, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting the sins of the world against the people in the world. That's what, that's what it says. I, I, a lot of people don't like that verse. I, I know why. Because they want to atone for their own sins. They, Even though they will read that verse, they will still in their mind think that they have a work to do to atone for sins. That somehow, uh, if they don't, they're gonna; those sins will stand on their record, and God will judge them for them. That's not the reality. If you're gonna understand about judgment, well, understand this judgment: Christ was judged for your sins. That was a judgment, and He paid the penalty. He stood under the punishment for your sins. First John two two. He is a propitiation. And not only did he pay the price, but the Father is satisfied with the work of God on our behalf. First John 2, 2. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So we should first know, if we're trying to talk about judgment, if you ignore this point about judgment, well, you're, you're off the track. You, you are somewhere else because this is what you need to know when it comes to judgment. Well, sins, we're off the hook. Well, who's on the hook? Christ. God made him to be sin for us. And then point two. If we will be saved or lost, uh, and this is the point, believers have already been saved. So we're going to be judged to determine if we are saved or lost. We should know that. If God wants everybody to be saved, well, he has to have a judgment so that people will know who is saved and who is lost. And so believers have already been saved and will not stand judgment to determine if we will be saved or lost. So since Christ was judged in our place and we believe in him, we put our trust in him, God is saying we have eternal life. And John 5.24 literally says this, right? I'm going to turn to uh, John 5. 
not that you haven't read this before, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. So 5.24 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, and hear the results, has eternal life, will not be judged. There it is. Now, what about the people who don't believe? Will they be judged? Yes, they will be judged. It's just like reading Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Well, what about those who are not in Christ Jesus? Yeah, there's still condemnation for them. That's, that's, but we're talking about believers here. So for a person who believes, it says right here, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's one thing will not be judged. There won't be a judgment to determine whether he's saved or lost. Why? These are simple questions. Because he's already saved. And it sounds reasonable, logical, but trust me, it takes the spirit of truth to fully understand. This verse is not just something that, oh, everybody should just understand it. No, people, I've read over this verse, I don't know how many times. Not that I'm smart. But <laughs> that goes without saying. But, but, but no, this verse needs the Holy Spirit to properly understand the meaning here. Just the natural man is not going to understand this. A person who is not saved needs God the Holy Spirit to, to assist him to understand this verse. That's true. It says he has eternal life, will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. There, there it is, crossed over from death to life. So now, once you have this new life, you can it can never be extinguished, never, because it is the very life of Christ. So if your life is extinguished in some way, this new life that you have, then, and you, you know, then Christ's life would first need to be extinguished because we are in him. So that's, that's the reality here of the second point here. Is we've already been saved. We will not stand judgment to determine if we will be saved or lost. That's very logical to us who have the Spirit. Not so logical to, to people who don't. Point number three. Believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. So we've got to note that. That's a judgment. Believers are going to face that. And should they be afraid? Should they be worried? Is it some place where they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire? No, because we've already just said in point number two that they will not stand judgment to determine whether they will be saved or lost. The word is very clear. It's not contradictory saying that, oh, on the one hand, you're saved. On the other hand, we got to have a judgment to determine whether you're saved. So point number three is, is there is a judgment. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we, and Paul is including himself in that, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us uh, can receive what is due him for the things done in the body. So that's works. So it's, determined, it's to determine if they will or will not be rewarded for their works. Also, you know, the scripture we always talk about with the ministers is, is in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, 12 through 15. Do we have to go where it says uh, wood, hay, straw, gold, silver, precious stones? 
right? And be careful what building material you use and every, the work will be determined because the day, the day of judgment will declare it. And this is the judgment by fire. Uh, each man, you know, I'm quoting this and trying to give you the meaning of it. I'm just going to turn to it real quick. Not that we haven't seen these verses before, but uh, here it is. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. So it says, if anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Now, that's verse 12. A lot of times when we go through these verses, we don't read uh, verse 11 or, or verse 10. Because the verse 10 and 11 talk about the foundation and and how we should view the Christian life, right? The Christian life is... We have the foundation, which is salvation, because you can't even do good works if you're not saved. These are not talking, this is not talking about unbelievers, it's talking about believers. How do we know? Look at verse 10. By the grace of God, God has given me, verse 10, I laid the foundation as a wise builder for someone else's building on it, but each one should build with care. And look at verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that's salvation. That's the foundation. And you can't deviate from that. It does not change. Either you believe in Christ or you don't. If you don't believe, you don't have the foundation. You don't, Works are not even a question for you. So now, verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation, notice they're building on the foundation. What are they going to do? What's the building material? Gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day, what day? Judgment day, will bring it to light. And here's what it, it will be revealed by fire. It's not the lake of fire. Fire represents judgment. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. So you know they have the foundation, which is salvation. And what they have built upon it will be tested. We'll have to go through the fire, as it were. If what he has, what has been built survives, verse 14, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, because, uh, but yet will be saved. Why will he be saved? Because he has the foundation, even though one, uh, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So everybody will not have misconceptions about what's going to be what they will be in eternity, because all of the works that are done, not motivated by God, the Holy Spirit, will be revealed by fire and will be discarded. Publicly. So we should know this publicly. God, there's no misconceptions about what the eternal state will be. So there is a judgment, but it's only to determine whether or not we will receive rewards. This is, that's important to note for believers. Point number four, those who refuse to believe in Christ will stand before the last great white throne judgment to be judged according to their works. And there's a Greek word, ergon. The word for sins is not there. Harmartia is sin. It's not there. Ergon is there twice. 
in those verses, 11, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Their works will determine if they will be saved or lost. The lake of fire. Not their sins. So that's clear to understand. We, it's important for us to understand. People are not being lost because God is punishing them for their sins. They're being lost because of the works that they did do not uh, qualify them to the standard that Christ left, which is his perfect righteousness. If you don't have his, that's the only righteousness of man that the Father accepts. And we saw that last time. And now Christ has gone away, so there's no, no more demonstration needed for man. The last Adam has already uh, demonstrated beyond any doubt that he was righteous before the Father. And the Father, not only did he resurrect him, but he's propitiated by the work of Christ in our behalf. So the work of Christ isn't just about sin. It's also about righteousness. So the, their sins, these unbeliever sins, are not mentioned at the last judgment. Because they've already been paid. Christ was already judged for their sins. So they don't have to stand a judgment to determine uh, about their sins or their sins being the indictment in their judgment. So they've rejected Christ, which is God's offer of salvation. So that's why they're standing here. And what are they standing on? What is what, what they're using to recommend them into the eternal state? It is their works. They're saying, God, these are the things I've done. I, I was good. I had a good smile. I, I did things that were positive. I worked in the world. I worked on many different things. <clears throat> I, <clears throat> I helped people. God is going to look at their works. And he already has, has them written in the books. In other words, God knows exactly what they did. But when he compares it to Christ's perfect work, uh, they will be found lacking. And they will not have what it takes to enter into the eternal state. Isn't that interesting? Most people in the world think that their personal sins or, or the abundance of them will be what determines whether they will uh, be thrown into the lake of fire. Most people in the world believe that. So that's why the Holy Spirit's work is so important to help people understand what the true issues of salvation are. So that's 2 Corinthians. Uh, oh, well, that's not 2 Corinthians. That's Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Our next one is that verse. But these verses I'm going to let you read. We've read them a lot of times. Hopefully you, you have an opportunity if you want to if you need to, to make sure you're familiar with those verses. Point D now, those are the four points about judgment that you need to make sure you understand. So point D just is an emphasis here. A clear understanding of judgment is vital to our spiritual and mental well-being. So, so this is really, if you need to be well-grounded as a believer in this age, you need to understand these things. If you don't have the answers about judgment, if, some, if you get to these places where you say, well, I don't know. No, we know exactly how God is going to handle judgment. There's no secret. He has told us. We're not going to be judged based on our sins. 
way. That's our sins are only because we have a sin nature. And then God took care of every sin we would ever commit in this life. Now, that's hard for people to believe because people commit sins and people are upset about it. It's like, I don't like the sins that that person committed. And why should he be let off the hook? Why should his sins not be imputed to him but be imputed to Christ? He should pay for those sins. Well, that person was born with a sin nature. And because he used his sin nature differently than you use yours, then you think that that person deserves to be punished. But Christ was punished for that person. Just as the sins that are horrible that you commit, Christ was punished for, and you're fine with that. You're like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> but that you have to have that same grace when it comes to other people. That same gracious attitude that, that you use for your own self when others have done horrible, devilish things that will shock you even. Yeah, those things came from the nature to sin that is in us all. Yeah, all of us have the sin nature. It's capable of doing the most horrible things. So just so it is not about our sins. It's not about the terrible things that happen in this world, that the bad decisions. It is about the good things that people think or do. They feel like help people. That is the indictment that will send them to the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. So having that clear understanding grounds us. It is part of our foundation that we need so that when we are confident as Christians when we walk in this world. So why are so many avoiding this important matter? Why? You would, these, this is like nuts and bolts understanding. And 2 Corinthians gives us some insight into that. And I'll just read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Notice they're unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Christ is the, the image of God, right? That's the glory that's shining in him. And yet, this is the glory of God. It's not just the glory in the face of, it's displayed in the face of Christ. Remember, Christ is the image of God, but if you're in Christ, then you are also the image of God. The image of God is his glory, his plan, his ultimate purpose. What God has planned for us is glorious. So Satan does not want you to see the Father's eternal purpose. That's what that is to say. Like it says in Colossians 1.15, he is the firstborn, the image of the invisible God. That's the role that Christ has image of the invisible God. We have that role. What does it mean, the image? Well, he's going to tell what the invisible... You can't see God, but Christ will tell you what he's all about. And what is he all about? He's all about the Father's plan. For, for through him, all things were created, 
this where the plan went into motion. Things in heaven, things on earth, things visible, invisible. All things were created by him and for him. That's Colossians 1, 15 through 17. So to note, those things are important. Right? Satan does not want people to know these things that relate not only to the Father's plan, but to, but to the very basis of salvation. That's why he keeps unbelievers in their place. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. So that is important for us to know. We're going to talk more about Satan as we go in point number two. So, and about judgment. And point number two is because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now, we we're, we're, we have to understand, because remember, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to tell the world of unbelievers. He's not telling us this, because believers should already understand this. The problem is, you got believers who can't even articulate these things. They Even if they can't articulate them, that's one thing. But when they're confused about such things is another. I have to say, this, as I said, is the most important thing. You, you can't, this is a part of your foundation. If you don't know this, how can you tell somebody about the gospel if you don't know this information about judgment, about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment? These are factors that need to be solidified in your, or cemented. In your mind, if you're not sure about this, go back and study this so that you are efficient, proficient, and knowledgeable about it. And then develop conversation and words around this. If you don't have words, use the biblical words to say what God is saying about this most important subject. Point number two, let's get to it. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The first point is angels and man are volitional creatures. Since volitional, God has made us responsible for the decisions we make regarding our eternal destiny. Now, it's interesting that we are not responsible. Listen, if I say this, a lot of people won't like it. It sounds kind of crude. But we are not responsible for the sins that we commit. I say that it makes me sound irresponsible and it makes me sound like I'm promoting sin. Like, oh, so it doesn't matter. Go right on out and sin then. You're not going to be held responsible for your sins, so don't worry. That's what it makes me sound like. But guess who I also sound like by saying such a thing? The Apostle Paul. If you look at Romans chapter 6, where he says, What should we say then? Say then to what? It's what he previously said in chapter 5 about where sin abounds, don't worry, because <laughs> grace abounds way over on top of that, and then some more. It super abounds over it. So a person could say, oh, so you're saying that sin doesn't matter. That's the same thing I'm saying, in essence, whereas I'm not saying that sin doesn't matter. I'm not saying that you should yield your members as instruments to sin unto death. I'm not saying you should do that. But I'm saying that God has indeed handled the sin problem. Yeah. So God has made, but when he says he made us responsible for the decisions we make, 
regarding our eternal destiny. So the question is not about whether you're a sin or you are a sinner and you have committed sins, personal sins, but you had you were born with a sin nature. So what should that mean for you? It means that you're going to commit personal sins. That that's true. What else can you do? You can't do righteousness. So you're going to have to this is what God has called you in Adam and created you in Adam. As for you, you were born in your trespasses and sins. That is the reality. Understand it. But this is not to say we should go out and sin. It is to say this is how God handles sin. Even when you don't think you're sinning, you probably are. You don't know all the sins that are. You're stuck in certain sins until the Holy Spirit reveals them to you. So anyway, he's made us responsible for our, our eternal destiny. right? Just like we read in John 3.18, he that believes on him is not condemned, but he who believes already is condemned, who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed. Notice, where is the responsibility here? It is on the person to believe or not to believe. So, and what will that believing or not believing do for us, it will decide our eternal destiny. Right? God has already done the work for us to be saved. All we have to do is choose whether or not we will believe in Christ or reject him. That is it. So, but our, so then it makes our volition very important, right? We are volitional beings. Not only do we demonstrate that by our salvation, but we demonstrated that by how we customized our sin nature as well. Everybody sins differently, but it doesn't mean that God says, oh, yeah, I like his better than yours. He hates it all. Point B, let's keep going. The prince of this world, Satan, that's who it is. John 14, 30 says, Christ says, come on, because the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold in me. Christ was not a sinner. He wasn't born a sinner. No hold. Satan didn't have a foothold in Christ. We were born in sin, shaping in iniquity. Right? We were born in our transgressions and sins. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. All of us followed the ways of this world, the prince of the ruler of the air. All of us did that. That's Ephesians 2 too. That was how it worked for all of us, but not for Christ. But notice the prince of this world is Satan. Second Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, which we already read, it says that he's the God or ruler of this world. Same type of uh, comment, identifying Satan as uh, at the helm in this world, this evil world that will be destroyed. Point C, <clears throat> what about the prince of this world? He now stands condemned. So Satan and his fallen angels have used their volition and they have been condemned to the lake of fire. And Matthew 25, 41 is the scripture. It says that the lake of, lake of fire was, was prepared. It's already there for the devil and his angels. The lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. But we should know no one in angelic history or human is in the lake of fire. Not yet. What are we waiting for? Judgment. Obviously, there is uh, the, the judgment of human beings is 
also uh, the same terminus point for angels. So we should note that, right? So uh, it's important to note that Satan has been judged. So the judgment for Satan has already come down. Whatever happened between God and the angels and the revolt, and we know that a third of the angels will side with Satan. We know that from Revelation chapter 12. And so knowing that, all these angels made decisions for and against God. And uh, the ones that are against God were judged. They were, it already happened for them. So, there, so, so there's no... So it's interesting to say if, if they, the lake of fire, they were already consigned to the lake of fire. How come not, the sentence hasn't been executed yet? Because obviously... There's something that happens that God is giving further evidence to these angels that they are deserving of this destiny, the lake of fire. That is their destiny. And they have chosen it. And God has made a choice. He says, okay, you guys are going to get it. It's coming. The, the sentence will be carried out. And, and yet it hasn't done been carried out yet, but it will be. So the lake of fire is their eternal destiny. And so here, point D, it says it was prepared for the devil and his angels, right? It says, point D is the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels because their judgment came first. It's not, well, only for the devil and his angels. It's for man too. Man who refused to use their volition in a positive way. Their lake of fire is their destiny. Some people say, well, it's not even for man. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Man is a volitional creature. Satan, angels, are volitional creatures. And if if only reason it says it was prepared for them is because man wasn't created yet. God didn't say, well, the lake of fire was prepared for man and angels when men weren't even created yet. He says it was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the bottom line. <clears throat> so, it's because their judgment came first, both angels and men will have, who have refused God's grace, will reside in this place. And I must add, forever. So, point E. Do you know that we will judge angels? This is a quote. How much more? the things of this life. This is a quote from 1 Corinthians 6.3. So the question is, how will we judge angels? And so there, there is a line of reasoning advanced that uh, angels uh, appealed the sentence. There is the line of reasoning that says, wait a minute, Angels must have appealed to God and said, wait a minute, God, how can you throw us into the lake of fire? We've used our volition. You gave us our volition. How can, you know, these, this is the line of reasoning that is advanced. And I think there is something to that. Because when you look at what happens, God could have, if, if, look, the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. Why didn't God throw the devil and his angels into the lake of fire? Why didn't he do that? Well, well, no, what did he, he do? He, he created man, and at the end of human history, 
when man is thrown into the lake of fire for not believing. We also know that Satan and all of his angels are also thrown into the lake of fire. God could throw them in the lake of fire right now. He could have thrown them in the lake of fire before he created uh, the or restored the earth for and created man. He could have, because that was the sentence. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. They were already the devil and his angels before God created man. So when you think about it from that perspective, you have uh, obviously something that happened. And we could say that Satan appealed his sentence. But guess what? Now it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, how we will judge angels. So how will we judge angels? It does not say this about Israel. It does not say Israel will judge angels. This is about people who are in this church age. And he's talking to Corinthians here who certainly are not on the right track when it comes to growing in grace. And In fact, he says, I would love to talk to you, Corinthians, as spiritual, but I can see that uh, you are not spiritual. And he means by that mature. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, he talked about some of these things that uh, are deep, the mystery and uh, how, you know, things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. He talks about all these things. But in three, he says, I would love to continue this conversation with you, but you you guys need milk rather than strong meat. It's because you're still babies. And so we know that the... But notice what he says in chapter six about these Corinthians. He says, don't you know we will judge angels? So it has nothing to do with their spiritual growth. But he's letting them know that because they're arguing amongst themselves, you, he uses this point of fact to tell them, grow up, basically. How will we judge angels? Well, we will judge angels because of our residence in Christ. All of us, who were chosen in him, we're now in Christ. Now, guess who's going to judge uh, the world? Christ. But we, it says we will judge the world, we will judge angels. That's verse 2, 1 Corinthians 6, 2, about the world. We, we didn't turn to it, so you could see the context. But you could study this out for yourself. But in 6, 3, it says we will judge angels. That's our subject right now. And these angels have rejected God's gracious offer. And now, Christ is the judge. Everybody will stand by the, before the great white throne. Christ is there. He was their judge as well, I would imagine. And now, we who are in Christ have the same thought. It is the same thing that happened to angels. We need to be concerned of because this verse because the prince of this world now stands condemned, is a warning that we should not do the same thing that Satan and the fallen angels did. And that's point F, actually. That Satan and the fallen angels are an example for us to know that God will judge us in the same way he judged them and to be saved from the condemnation that will result in the lake of fire.
that so it tells us now that what happened with the angels with, with regard to their condemnation to the lake of fire is also something that will happen or can happen to human beings so satan is consigned to the lake of fire it will happen at the end of human history the holy spirit is here now telling people don't let this happen to you don't allow this to be a part of your experience don't allow you uh, your experience to be condemned and result in you being thrown into the lake of fire like satan and his angels so the fact that human beings make those decisions and get thrown in the lake of fire is just like the angels who made decisions and got thrown into the lake of fire. We have them as an example. And the Holy Spirit will, he will tell this to the world that the prince Satan is, you may side with him, but you know, if you do side with Satan, you're going to have to experience the same punishment that he has. Prince of this world now stands condemned. So these are th some things to think about. So point G says, just as people are destined to die once, this is another scripture, and after that to face judgment. All of us know this. This is, we do, all of us know we're going to die. And after we die, we know that we're going to face judgment. That's, if you don't know that, then, like I said earlier in the opening, uh, many alternate beliefs and, uh, you know, there's going to be a reckoning. It'll soon be seen. The light will show the darkness of what they were holding on to. Atheism, all these different beliefs of, oh, I don't know, so that's going to get me by. Nope, it's not. agnosticism will not get you through. But, but we have Christ who is the judge. He came, word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. And he showed us what it was not only to live in this world, but to die. He faced judgment for all of us. So we don't have to ever stand that judgment that determines whether we're going to be saved or lost. But it is appointed to men that we will stand judgment. But, but guess what? We, Christ, is our, he gives us a pass. He's our substitute. He stood in judgment for us. So that we don't have to face this judgment. So the only judgments left for us is whether we'll be going to receive rewards or not. That's the only judgment left for believers. But the judgment left for unbelievers is like what Satan. And, and now we see Satan busy blinding the minds of unbelievers. So that they cannot see. And sure enough. The judgment that happened to Satan, Satan and his angels, his fallen angels, will happen to men in this uh, world who have made the same choices that Satan has. So, this is we're gonna we're gonna close with this thought and continue because this is Satan uh, being judged. 
This is the condemnation that he received. It's given as a warning that we have this in the gospel, right? If you believe, you will not perish. You will not come to destruction. If you believe, you will have life. But if you refuse to believe, you will not see life and the wrath of God will remain on you. So the Holy Spirit is making it clear. There is a this whole thought of universalism, which says, hey, don't worry about it. Everybody's going to be saved because God just loves everybody and you will be saved in the end. Uh, they're not taking into account what the gospel says because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Why tell us that? Because you stand condemned if you fail to believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There is no name given men under heaven whereby we must be saved. It is, it is critical, not only that we understand these issues inside out, up and down, so that we can be ambassadors for Christ, telling people that God is not counting their sins against them, telling people that Christ is our righteousness, it is not our works. It is what he provides that brings us justification before God and removes condemnation forever. So thank you, Father, as we close, that you have given us this type of grace where not only are we saved and have eternal life, are justified forever, but you chose us in, in him before the creation of the world. We will judge angels by just who we are and the decisions we have made about eternal life. We thank you for the gifts that are ours. We thank you for your marvelous plan that not only provides salvation for all, that makes provision for salvation to anyone who chooses to believe but that you also have a plan, a purpose for why all things exist. We thank you for those who are here at this church who are exercising their humility to, to believe even more, to have confidence in what you have made of them. And we thank you for this church the outlet we have to be able to talk about the deep things of God. All of this we ask in Christ's name, for without him, we would not have anything, not even life. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.